If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Gospel of Luke chapter 11, we continue looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught us. This morning, the sermon, the parable, will be about prayer. I like teaching and I like preaching on prayer, not because I'm, quote, any good at it, but because it's such a good reminder for me to continue to grow in prayer. And my hope is that this morning you and I will leave here more intent to seek God in prayer. In chapter 11, verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, as John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. So the disciples have seen something in the prayer life of Jesus that they want for themselves. They're asking him to teach them to pray. And we get a bit of teaching from Jesus on prayer. Maybe the first thing he says to you and to me is this, pray simply. Verse 2, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Here's another account, a bit shorter account of the quote, Lord's Prayer, maybe better, Disciples' Prayer. This is Jesus teaching us on the sorts of things that we could pray. This is certainly a prayer that we could repeat, as we often do the Lord's Prayer, and maybe we'll do that later this morning when we close our service together. But, but more than a prayer simply to repeat, I, along with others, think that it's a prayer that can guide our prayers. The late, great R.C. Sproul wrote a children's book one time called The Barber That Wanted to Pray. It's a wonderful little story. You can buy it and read it. You can even listen to R.C. Sproul online, read it. And in this little story on how to pray, and how this barber was being taught to pray. He, in the story, is being taught by the great Martin Luther on how to pray. One of the things that Luther says the barber ought to do is memorize the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Memorize the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Why? Sproul goes on to say, use them to help you pray. Pray through the Lord's Prayer. Set your mind and heart. Give careful attention of your mind and your heart to the Lord's Prayer and let it guide you into more and deeper prayer. This 
brief disciples' prayer runs the gamut, doesn't it? The future establishment of God's love and justice and righteousness, we might say. Father, hallowed be your name. You, you, are, you are glorious, and may your name be praised not only by me, but by all. And your kingdom come. So it reaches towards the greatness of God and of his righteousness and of his ways. But then it comes down to our present needs of give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. So we might say it runs the gamut, but at the same time, it's quite simple, huh? It's not long. Obviously, some prayers in the Bible are long, certainly longer, and their examples should be considered and even copied. I know that in Matt's Sunday school class, you all have just finished up looking at many of the great and wonderful prayers of the Bible, many of them much longer than this one. And certainly extended times of prayer are called for. Jesus himself spent all night in prayer, at least on one occasion. But it is to say that our prayers to be effective don't have to be long prayers. The strength of a prayer isn't measured by the clock, but by the heart, right? Shorter prayers prayed more often may be better or at least as good of longer prayers that are prayed maybe less frequent. When we read Paul tell us over and over again to devote ourselves to prayer and to pray without ceasing, he certainly doesn't have in mind that we don't do other things. But throughout the day, give ourselves to prayer. And so that may mean shorter prayers, but more often prayers. But at least let's just note that this isn't a long prayer. Jesus teaches how to pray. Hey, listen, when you pray, pray like this. It also doesn't really contain many big words. You and I don't have to pray in King James with the these and the thous and the knowiths and the like. We don't have to seek to impress others with our amazing vocabulary. I remember when I was in college, the college director at Denton Bible Church, James Skinner, asked me to be his evangelism explosion prayer partner. I was a sophomore at the University of North Texas, and man, this is Skin asking me to be his prayer partner. Man, this is cool. Yes. And I went over to his house, first time to go and pray with him. Um, and we kneel down at his bed, and we're praying, and man, I'm going to impress skin. And I prayed, mustering up the best I could. I put skin to sleep. Now, that's probably mostly his problem. Boy, had been up too late the night before. But probably my problem, too. I was trying to impress him. And he was not impressed with my big words. We 
don't have to pray in the King James, nor do we have to pray in Old English. Prayer is not measured by a stopwatch, nor one's mastery of the English dictionary or the theological dictionary. Lord, give us, give us our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. Protect us from evil. Nothing long about that. And nothing big words about that. And it's good to remember, I think, that this is given to ordinary folks just like us. This is Jesus' disciples asking him to pray. This is Peter, James, and John, fishermen. This is Matthew, hated tax collector. This is, this is just regular old folks like you and me. These weren't Jewish rabbis that were asking him. These weren't Jewish rabbis that he was giving this prayer to, not seminary professors. And, and at this point, these guys weren't the apostles, if you will, that we know them to be. They were just ordinary followers of Jesus. So prayers like this are for you and for me. So brothers and sisters, let's pray. And if you want to pray long, great. But you don't have to. So many of life's prayers are short prayers throughout the day. I love it in Nehemiah chapter 1, if you know that story where Nehemiah is praying, apparently day and night for four months. So this is a man who's devoted to a prayer that God would give him success. And then in chapter 2, God opens up a door for him in answer to his prayer. And he gets an opportunity to speak to the king. And the king asks him what he wants. And as Nehemiah recounts the story, he said, So I prayed to the Lord and I said. Man, that's a, that's a short, quick prayer. Lord, help me. King, here's what I need. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. But let's not think that it has to be long. Let's not think that it has to be spectacular. Let's not think that it has to be offered up by somebody bigger and better than us. It can be simple. Can you pray, pray like this. Secondly, and this one's a little bit harder to get at, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to say maybe pray obviously. That, that may be the point of this little story Jesus is about to be told. It may be pray boldly. That may be it. It certainly may be pray persistently. If we don't get it in the little story, we get it in the teaching coming right after it. So bear with me, if you will. Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. Now what's interesting is that, in fact, you just have to believe me in this, in, in the Greek, it's not because I read Greek, it's because I read the guys who read the Greek. This is the question. In almost all the translations, it's, it's not stated as a question, but this is a question that Jesus is asking. It goes something like this. Who among you will have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, 
friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he will answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot, I cannot get up and give you anything. Question mark. And the intended answer is without question, no one. No one. Who among you will have a friend and go to him at midnight? So it's late at night, and all of a sudden, one of, a friend of yours shows up late at night, and he needs a place to stay, and he's had a long journey, and he's hungry. And, and, and you say, come on in, man, you can stay with me, but I don't have any food. This is hospitable culture. You've got to say yes, and you've got to provide, but you don't have any food to provide, so what do you do? You're going to go to your neighbor's house, and you're going to ask him for food so that you can take care of your friend who's come. But it's midnight, and you know that his kids are asleep, his chickens are probably asleep, the dog's probably asleep, probably wouldn't have had dogs in the Jewish, but the sheep, I got a goat. They sleep at night, right? I told you about my goat last week. Uh, His wife is asleep. He knows it's midnight. But in this culture, even though it's midnight, you could go and you could expect that the friend is going to meet the need. So let let me briefly say, Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word persistence probably shouldn't be translated persistence, but it so often is. Over and over and over again it is. It's a hard word for the translators to get at. Some of you have shameless persistence. Because the best word may well be shamelessness. This fellow may be ignorant of what is shameful, or he may be disregarding what he knows to be shameful. He knows that it's midnight, everybody's asleep, but he knows that if he goes over and asks, of course he's going to be given the bread. That's what one really good scholar thinks is going on here, and he would say it this way, that the point of this short little parable is, if among humans a request is granted even when or because it is rude, how much more will your heavenly Father respond to your requests? It's a from a lesser to a greater argument. If indeed one knows that if I will go to my neighbor, I just know that he's going to meet my needs, he's going to help me with my needs, how much more when we go to God? Others think the word carries the idea, not 
of, of boldness, audacity, again, shamelessness. One guy said maybe the best word here would be gall. And the idea maybe there is it's midnight, I know they're asleep, but I'm going to have the boldness, the gall to go and ask. And indeed, that could be the idea that's going on here, that you and I are to be bold in our requests to God, to have the audacity, to have the gall, to not think to ourselves, listen, God is, he's got other things to take care of rather than my little needs. He's having to watch over the, all that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. Now he's having to take care of what's going on between Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and the like. And China's over here along with Russia and Iran. And he's, he, God has greater things to take care of and be concerned about than my little life. And Jesus saying, no. Be bold. Heaven's doors are open wide to his children. He has granted you access. He is the sovereign God who is watching over all things. But you are invited to come and to make your requests known to God who is your heavenly Father. Or it may well be persistence. Probably the translations are so going that way with the word because of what Jesus says afterwards. The commentators will note, in the story itself, we don't get the guy going over next door and knocking. And we don't get the friend on the inside going, go away. But no, I got to have it. It's late. Go away. Bro, my buddy has come. I don't have any food. Get up. In the story, there is no refusal and there is no continual Request. Jesus asked a question. Well, who among you will have a... Can't even keep up with... Go over and... Will he say to you, and he says, no one, no. But because of what Jesus goes on to say, maybe they're pulling back in there and saying, maybe, maybe indeed this ought to be translated persistence though the word itself probably doesn't carry that idea. So we're getting into the weeds a little bit. But, hey, pray simply. Could be pray obviously. If you go, your friend is going to meet your need. If you go to God, he's going to meet your needs. It could be boldly. It could certainly persistently as we look at verse 9. So I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. These are present tense verbs there in verse 9. Maybe they carry the idea of keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And and then Jesus repeats them. For everyone who asks, and he who seeks, and to him who knocks. It seems to be that Jesus is indicating that you and I should be persistent in prayer. Repeated, continual prayer. Because he's he's responsive to it. Jesus said, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. Persistence is a sign of sincerity and earnestness, right? Sometimes my daughters might come and pick on Maddie. Hello, Maddie. And maybe it's January and Maddie makes a request and I hear it and I think, hmm, interesting, hadn't heard that one before. I don't know about that one. I wonder how serious she is. And lo and behold, I forget about it because guess what? She forgot about it. Never hear that request again. Sometimes maybe she'll ask something about in January and I'll listen and go, okay, whatever, probably not, maybe, you know. But then February, hey, Daddy. A couple weeks later, hey, Daddy. March, hey, Daddy. April, hey, Daddy. You begin to think, man, she really wants this. It wasn't something she just thought about in a moment and blurted out. This is really on her heart. She keeps coming back to this one. This isn't something she's just forgotten about. She really cares about this. I wonder if we could make that happen. Right? Because by her persistence, she shows that she's earnest, that she's sincere. This is something that's really on her heart. And any one of us parents would take note of that. And we may end up not granting that request, but it's certainly one that we might, if you will, open up our ears to a bit more because she keeps coming with it. Persistence. What are the sorts of things that you're praying for again and again and again and again and again? Not because you believe God is somehow, you know, that we have to wring him out like a wet cloth to get the water to come, to flow. Not because you think he's some mechanical thing that you have to push the button enough times and eventually it'll pop out. But because it's sincerely on your heart, something, something spiritual and noble and wonderful or just just something that's so hard upon your heart that you've just you found yourself over and over and over and over and over again pleading with him 
God, would you do this? And along the way, if you have those kind of prayers, they've probably been shaped a little bit. Maybe you've adjusted them a little bit over time. As you've grown, as you've begun to see maybe his perspective on the matter a little bit more, you've adjusted that prayer, but, but it's something that you just, you just keep coming to him with it. I think Jesus is saying he loves that sort of thing. When you pray, pray like this. Ask. Seek. Knock. Maybe keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And then we can pray expectantly. Not only pray persistently there in verses 9 and 10, but, but expectantly in verses 11 and following. Now, Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Of course not. Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? No way. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who asks him. In the story above, he talked about a friend, and now he comes back to referring to God as our Father. And that's how he taught us to pray. When you pray, say, Father. God is not merely a friend. He is our Heavenly Father. We are His children, and He loves us. And Jesus is saying that God, as our Father, is more gracious than human parents who know how to give good gifts to their children. If you and I know how to give good gifts to our children, and we, Jesus said, being evil, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who certainly isn't, evil respond to the prayers of his children. Earthly fathers never respond to children's requests with hurt in mind, especially when the requests are centered around needs and not merely wants. And the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray really seems that it has a bent upon our needs. Daily bread forgiveness of sins, protection from evil. That God is delighted as a good heavenly father to meet those needs of his children. Jesus isn't here teaching us to pray for square footage, retirement accounts, vacations, popular kids who look good. This is the stuff of spiritual life. And if we know how to answer our children's plea, request, how much more? Our Father. He might not give us exactly what we ask for. Jesus doesn't go there, but his son asks for a fish. He's not going to give him a snake. No way. 
He's not going to give him a snake. That would bite him and hurt him. But he might not give him the fish either. If he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. No way the scorpion would sting him and hurt him. But he might not give him the egg either. God doesn't always give us what we ask for. He oftentimes says no, right? And I showed my age a couple weeks ago in our Friday morning men's discipleship group. We were talking about prayer, and uh, we were talking about unanswered prayer, and I said to one of the younger guys in the group, I said, yeah, just like Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. And he goes, what? I said, you know, Garth Brooks, right? Yeah, I've heard of him. You never heard unanswered prayers? How old am I again? Just the other night. Y'all want me to sing? God doesn't always answer. Sometimes he says no. And aren't you and I glad? And sometimes we thank God for all those unanswered prayers. But he always gives us what we need. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. God is my reluctant Heavenly Father who doesn't want to give me good gifts. But if I'll just stay at him, then I can overcome his reluctance. No. God is a willing Father who loves his children. We lay hold of his willingness to provide for our daily bread, to provide the forgiveness of sins which we need to protect us from evil. The assumption seems to be that a disciple understands that God is not a genie in a bottle. Right? What do you do with the bottle? You just rub him long enough, the genie's going to pop out and grant us whatever we wish for. That's not our God. Nor is he the great Santa Claus upstairs, right? We just make our wish list, and he comes through on Christmas morning. Nor is he a butler to whom we intercom our requests. But we understand our God to be great, to be a father who loves his children and loves to give the necessities of life and spiritual life to his kids. So brothers and sisters, let us pray. Let's pray simply. Let's pray obviously. Let's pray boldly. Let's pray persistently. And let's pray expectantly. Because God's ear is open to his children. I quote it far too much, but it's my favorite verse on prayer. I love the Lord because he hears my voice. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. I've shared it before, but it's been a while. Family circus cartoon used to be in the funnies, right? Sunday paper. 
And the little boy in the family circus cartoon, he's kneeling by his bed, and he's got his hands clasped in prayer, and he's asking, is anybody up there listening? And in the very next one, same picture, he's by his bed, and as only a cartoon artist can do, it's, it's a myriad, if you will, of angels with a notepad and pen, leaned in listening. Now, I don't believe that God sends his angels to take notes of our prayers and then go back to God. But the point is, is anybody up there listening? You bet there is. I love the Lord because he hears my voice, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. Maybe a better second picture would have been a big ear with a hand. God has inclined his ear to you and to me. He says, come. Come, ask. Seek. Knock. Ask. Seek. Knock. Pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. Pray without ceasing. He's listening, and he loves you, and he will give you what you need every time. Let's stand, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Not Luke's version, that we probably don't know exactly. But Matthew's version, and uh, you may have memorized it in the old King James. You may have memorized it a little bit different, but that's all right. We'll, we'll be okay. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.